called Relational Pit Stop. Relational Pit Stop. Now, for me, I, it's interesting. I, I feel like God and Jesus were very intentional about setting up their church to week, meet once a week. That we would meet once a week and that we'd be encouraged and uplifted and challenged. And that this would be a time where we can sing together. Is there any other place you sing with a group of people on a regular basis? Right? This is a unique thing. And we get together. We sing together, which is unique. And we, we come together and, and we're partnering together with our gifts And then we read God's word together that he would speak to all of us. And in reading his word, we want to be challenged. I hope you're challenged by what it says in God's word because we all have sin natures. We all need to to be challenged in that area of our life that we are encouraged to change and to conform to the way of God and obedience and that we're encouraged that joy and hope are built in us. So every week, my prayer and my goal and our leadership here is that we would come together and we would have this pit stop. Now in a pit stop, in a race, they're going to get new tires. They're going to fill up, right? They're going to do all the things they need to do to finish the race strong and to the best of their ability. And I believe for us, I need Sunday a time to get together with other Christians and believers, to be encouraged with singing, to be challenged through God's word, to be uplifted knowing that the future is set in Christ. And so every week we come together. I hope that, that that's your expectation. I hope that that's what we're here to do, is to worship God knowing that this is a time of, of growth, a time of maturity, and a, and a time of building. And for me personally, I like to know why things are the way they are. I like to know why we do the things that we do. And so even today... We have a unique Sunday. It's unique because there's two things nationally that are going on or two things locally that are going on that people in our community are are engaged in. One is the Daytona 500, right? In 1949, in the summer of 49, some people got together and they started racing their cars on the sand on the beach and then they connected it to the road and they started a race And that began the Daytona 500 because people loved car racing. They loved here being at the beach and they combined the two because of their loves and they loved it so much that they decided to do it every year and every year it expanded and they built the speedway and all these things have happened. And now it's an international phenomenon. People all over the world are going to watch a race today that happens here because people so much loved racing their cars against each other, right? There was love in it. Also today, all over the United States and different places in the world, we're going to celebrate Valentine's Day, right? Some people don't like Valentine's Day. But the history of Valentine's Day, the the real history far, far back would be a pagan religion. It would be a pagan uh, activity of of uh, worshiping the deity of fertility. But the Catholic Church took that and said, we can't have that. And so um, they took a man named Valentine who was a priest. And this is... You know, we don't know if this is historical or not, but we, we're told through church history that, that Valentine was a priest that lived during Claudius II's rule in Rome. Claudius lived, this was about 300 AD. Claudius made a mandate to all the Roman soldiers that they were no longer allowed to marry because he felt that marrying, them being married was such a huge distraction and they weren't the soldiers that they could be. And so he, he declared that none of his soldiers could get married. Well, Valentine felt this was unjust. And so he secretly came in and began to marry these soldiers off with their, 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 the women that they loved. And so uh, Claudius II found out about what Valentine was doing, and he imprisoned him and, and actually set a date for his, um, his death, the day that he was to be executed. 
And so while he was there, the history goes that some of the couples would come and visit him and give him gifts, thanking him for his sacrifice and his willingness to give his life so that they could be married. And on February 14th, he was put to death. And the church commemorates that by celebrating Valentine's Day. Did you know that's why we have Valentine's Day today? Well, now you know. And to be honest with you, I don't know if it's true or not. (laughs) But it's something that compels us, right? It's something that's compelling because we all understand love. Isn't that interesting? We all understand love. Why? Because we want to be loved. We were created to be loved. God created it in a way that all of us are in great need of love. And so today we're going to dive into what does that mean? How can we have good relationships? And how uh, can we live out what God intends for love to be? And I think the first uh, point we have to look at is what is love? What is love? I would say, in my opinion, that this issue of love is the most important issue of our time. It is the most misused and misunderstood um, word, probably, in, in, in our time, in our history that we're going to see. And so as we look to God's word, we, he created it. We want to trust him, what he says we believe. And so we're going to go to that. Before, I want to share with you, because sometimes it's good to hear what children have to say about the topics that we look at. And so they, they, uh, an organization asked a group of children that were four to eight years old, the question, what does love mean? And here are some of their insightful answers. Dallas, who's age seven, he said, love is when your mom makes a cup of coffee for your dad and she takes a sip of it before she gives it to him to make sure it's safe. <laughs> Donna, age six, says, my, mom, my mommy loves me more than anyone else. You don't see anybody else kissing me goodnight when I go to bed. Sandy, age eight, says, when my grandma got arthritis, she couldn't bend over to paint her toenails anymore, so my granddad does it for her, even after he got arthritis too. That's love. Jake, age six, says, love is when, a little old, is when little old men and little old women are still friends, even after they've known each other for so long. <laughs> Dennis, age five, says, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on aftershave and they go out together smelling each other. (laughs) Georgia, age seven, says, love is when you tell a boy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. (laughs) Chloe, age four, says, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Jackie, age four, says, love is when your puppy licks your face even when you left him alone all day. Bruce, age eight, says, love is when you go out to dinner with someone and you give them the most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. (laughs) Vanessa, age eight, you really shouldn't tell someone that you love them unless you mean it. But if you do mean it, you shouldn't, you should tell them all the time. People forget. Marissa, age four, says, love is when your older sister gives you all her old clothes because then she, goes, she gets to go out and buy new ones. <laughs> and then finally, Sue, age six, says, if you want to learn how to love better, you should start with someone you hate. Wow. So, some insightful words from these children, and sometimes it's from the mouth of babes that we learn truths in life. And so we want to learn what God has to say about our relationships this Valentine's Day. How do we have healthy, godly relationships? So let's precede his word with prayer and ask him to speak to us. Father God, we are grateful 
that you love us, that in your word we're told that you are love. You're the definition of love. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that your will would be done. And, Lord, that our, our, our ears would be open, our minds would be engaged, our hearts would be open to you, Lord. That as we hear your words, that they would impact us and guide us. And, Lord, there's lots of things for us to be thinking about right now, lots of places for our minds to wander. But, Lord, we ask that you would call us now, that you would speak to us, that we would give you full attention. And, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we talk about our relationships. There's lots of hurt. There's lots of pain in this world. All of us have had those in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you would um, encourage us, that, Lord, you'd give us hope, and, Lord, that our faith would be deepened in you because of the truth we know that the love we have has been given to us by you. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd bless everything that is said from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we'll be looking from 1 Corinthians, and before we go there, I just want to give you context. I think it's really important when you read these books, understanding that these, are, these were physical books written by real people. Paul wrote the book of Corinthians. He was an actual person that actually lived, and he had a very uh, intentional purpose for why he wrote this letter. And also, God inspired him. It is given to him by the Holy Spirit to write down so that the people of his time could understand it and we could understand it and apply it to our lives. And so to give you the context of this whole book of the Corinthians, uh, Paul went to Corinth. He started a church there, and then he left to work on other churches. And while he was gone, he was informed that there in Corinth, they were having some issues, some challenges. And so he returned to Corinth to deal with some of those issues. And so if you go home and read the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to find chapters 1 through 4 deal with this division within the body of Christ. That there were some who were following Paul as their leader, some were following Apollos as their leader, and some were following Peter as their leader, and they were arguing about who was the right leader, and who was the, what group are you in, and what, you know, what clique are you a part of? And so at the very beginning of the church, the very first church, they had a division that needed to be dealt with. Chapters 5 through 7, Paul deals with the immorality, that there was a lot of immorality going on within the life of the church. There was a lot of things that should not have been happening, but they were happening within the life of the church. Chapters 8 through 10 talk about the selfishness. Um, They were arguing about uh, what foods they should eat when, and and should they eat foods that are sacrificed to idols. And, And there was bickering and fighting because they couldn't come to an agreement, and there was a lot of selfishness within the church. And then verses, uh, chapters 11 through 14, they argued about worship services. Can you believe that? Even back then, they argued about how a worship service should be conducted, what should be said, what should be done, how it should be formatted. The church was in division. There was hostility. There was anger. And then chapters 15 and 16, there was actually a movement within the church to say that there was no resurrection, that there was nothing after this life. And that was a movement that was being built up within the life of the church. And so Paul had to go back. And he had to correct these things, he had to confront these things and deal with the challenges of this church because they had fallen so far away. So when you read 1 Corinthians, that is the totality of what that book is all about. Now 2 Corinthians, he comes back because they don't totally engage with what he teaches them in 1 Corinthians. And so Paul is is saying, look, this is so vitally important. It's so vitally important for us to understand these things. These are at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is at the heart of what it means to be his church. 
And so that's where we pick up 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries of all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I have gained nothing. And so here Paul is, is establishing the priority, the priority. Now, if you came for the first five weeks of church here at the church, we talked about the five pillars of the church, fellowship, discipleship, um, ministry, missions, and evangelism. These were the things that we said are five pillars of the church. If we do those five things, if we do those five things, but we do not have love, then we're wasting our time. The priority of me individually, the priority of us as a church corporately, is that everything we do must be built out of love. It must be built out of love. Now the challenge becomes, what is love? Right? That's a song people sing. What is love? What is love? It's a word we use. It's a powerful word. So many songs have been written about it. So many poems have been written about it. So much our life revolves around this word love. What is it, and how do we get it, and how do we give it? And so that's where Paul continues in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, there's a, there's a clear... There's a clear separation between what we see as love in our modern world and what Paul just described as love. Today, we say love is a feeling. Today, we say love is what you can get. And yet, Paul says the love that defines the believer, the love that defines the person that is in the family of God, the one that has the Holy Spirit living within them, is a selfless love that is completely, completely committed regardless of emotion. As you read this, there's no talk of it makes you feel good, it makes you feel happy, it makes you feel uh, you know, overwhelmed with any sensation. It talks about a deep commitment, a deep lasting commitment. And we all know this. As I was reading what these children had to say about what love is, so many times it came to self-sacrifice. It came to doing something that was not easy or comfortable for the benefit of someone else. And so we live in a world, we live in a world that we are in the midst of, and we need to be careful as we come to this place of pit stop and we consider our relationships, how much of the world's way, how much of the world's way has saturated into our attitudes? How much of the world's way has saturated into our actions? 
how much of the world is influencing us and how we treat others and how we deal with this issue of love. Because ultimately, God is looking for this. Remember that God said that the two most important things for us to do is to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so love is at the very midst of what we're called to do. And so Paul gives this very clear definition. It's a definition that says, I cannot be selfish and also love. I can't be bitter or angry and still love. I can't hold things against people and still love. And we read this, you know, you read this, you can go through this and say, am I patient? Am I kind? Do I envy? Do I boast? Am I proud? Do I dishonor others? Am I self-seeking? Am I easily angered? Do I keep a record of wrongs? Do I delight in evil? Or do I rejoice in truth? Do I always attempt to protect? Do I always attempt to trust? Do I always attempt to hope? Do I persevere as a human, as a person in the decisions I make? This is really the guideline that we're given in how to live out this life. The description of what love is. The definition of what love is. Well, Paul continues in verse 7. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be, si- they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And so Paul is saying there's an eternal nature to love. Everything else in your life right now has an expiration date. Your body has an expiration date. Everything that happens in your life, your job, your school, your experiences, you know, one of the hardest things, and we all know this, one of the hardest things in life is when things come to an end, right? It was hard when you graduated high school to say goodbye to your friends. It was hard when you left your first job to say goodbye to those people that you built relationships. It's hard when your kids grow up and leave the home. It's hard when things come to an end. But all things come to an end except love. Love is eternal. The nature of love is eternal. That's why it's so valuable, so important for us to every day live into this truth. To recognize that I am called to love. That I am called to live in relationship with God in a way that I can treat people with respect and dignity. That I can be selfless. That I can be giving. When I am given an option, when I am given a choice, I choose love. Meaning I choose what is best for that person, that group of people. Above what is best even for myself. Because it's eternal. It will go on and on. When I share Christ at the racetrack, when I share Christ with my neighbor, that is the greatest thing I can share with them in all of all things. That is the most loving thing I can do is say, you are lost in your sin, but you don't have to be. You are separated in relationship to God, but you don't have to be. There has been made a way. How was that way made? Through love. While you're yet a sinner, Christ died for you. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He came after us to save us. He saved us so that we could love him and we could love others. And so at the very core of who we are, at the very core of our nature, our created purpose is to love God and to love others. It's eternal in nature. Paul wants the church to recognize, stop fighting about things that are temporary. Stop fighting about styles. Stop fighting about who gets what or who will be where. And start loving each other and putting each other above yourself. Submit to God and submit to each other. Don't try to be the top of the chain. Serve everyone in the chain. 
It's so contrary to the world we live in. It's so backwards, and that's why we got to stop sometimes. we got to have a pit stop, and we got to really dive deep into who we are as individuals and ask ourselves these questions. Do I love people this way? Do I love the people that God has put in my life this way? And if not, how can I move forward in a way that lives into this eternal love? Paul continues in verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what in part disappears? When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childhood, I I put away the childhood, (laughs) I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see as a reflection in a mirror, Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul finishes his, his teaching by saying this. Love is to mature. Love is to grow. As a child grows to an adult, things change. Many things change in your life and how you approach life. The same is true spiritually. The physical growth is represented in the spiritual growth. As a child, you're selfish and self-centered. You grow to an adult. You have to move and mature and become. Paul's saying, look, don't stay as a child spiritually. Grow and mature in your love. Learn how to love greater. Learn how to challenge yourself to greater love. You know, I tell people all the time, they say, you know, the church is known for hating groups and all this stuff. And I say, the truth of the matter is this. The truth of the matter is this. The church's job is to love every person to the very utmost of its ability. Meaning this, I want the best for you. Every person I see on the street, every person you see at all times as a Christian, we are called to want the very best for that person. Do you know what the very best for every person is? That they're in a loving relationship with their creator. That is the very best. And maybe there's things that people don't like about that. But the reality is, the very best for any human is that they are in the right relationship with God. And so if I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love my neighbor, and I'm going to love people, then I have to encourage them. I have to do whatever I can in a loving way to say, you are loved by God but you are separated from him. And it's this thing of sin and death. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that who would believe in him, whoever would believe in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God brings life. The love of this world brings death. Did you know that? The love that is offered to us in this life, do whatever makes you feel good. Do what you want to do. Don't, any, don't let anyone tell you differently. You are the master of your own life. You are in control. If you believe it, you can do it. That is the love of death. It's the love of death. And God says, no, it's the opposite. You must lose yourself to truly gain it. Loving is giving of yourself, being selfless. Loving in a way that you learn to forgive. You learn to be slow to anger. You learn that people in your life, they so desperately need encouragement from you. They so desperately need support from you. They so desperately need you to walk alongside them and believe in them. 
I look back at my life, and, and I, I played football in, in middle school, and I can remember my coach. He was the greatest coach I ever had because he, was the, he said, Mike, I am your biggest fan. I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you. But he also challenged me to be great. He said, you've got to do the hard things. And I look back and I say, man, he loved me. He cared deeply about me. He wanted the very best, and I knew that about him. And you know, we can tell that about other people in our lives. We can tell if people are trying to use us. We can tell if people don't generally care about us. We can tell if people don't really love us. And it's only through the Holy Spirit of God, I believe, that we can truly love each other. And part of loving each other is come alongside each other and encouraging each other and walking through those valleys and walking through those hard times. You know, Valentine's Day is great. And it's, it's encouraging, and I think it's a pit stop even for everyone to stop and remember how many people you have in your life you can love. But let's not do that once a year. Let's not, let's not have Valentine's Day once a year. How about every day we love each other a little bit more, and we mature in it, and we grow in it, and we become more and more of what God wants us to be. And so there's clarity that is given in love, and that clarity is this. God loved us first. Did you know that? God has always loved you. The biggest lie of the enemy is that God doesn't love you. One of the things I'm most excited about about being here in Port Orange is that God is opening doors to talk to people that don't know him. And you know what I realize? I realize that many people don't believe God loves them. They They say, well, how can all this happen and God still love me? How can this be true and God still love me? You know, God still loves them. And for many people, they've never heard that. They've never heard the words, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you more than anyone could ever love you. Do we know that? All the mess in your life, all the things that you've done wrong, he loves you. He loves you. He loved us first, and here's what he expects of us. He expects us to love him. And then he expects us to love others. This kind of sacrificial love, this love that says it's not about me, is the love he calls us to. And so today, we have a pit stop. And I have some questions for you. Do you feel healthy or do you feel sick? When it comes to your friends and family, do you feel unity and trust within those that are in your life? Do you feel unified? Do you feel trusted? Do you feel supported within your friends and family? In your thought life, is there purity in your heart and mind? Are you healthy, in love with God, with your thoughts? Your cares and concerns for others, do you love God with your cares for others? Do you love the people that are in your life that you know are in need? Are you healthy or sick in your relationship to God? Do you have a healthy relationship with God today? Are you healthy or sick when it comes to your view of the future? Do you have faith that God will move and that he will do a great work within you, that he will bring it to completion, his good work in the future? Or do you live in fear of the future? These are the questions that we need to ask when we come together 
You know why? Because God will fill us with his Holy Spirit and he will bring victory and health. There's not one of us in this room that God won't make us healthy if that's what we truly desire. But we have to lay it on the altar. We have to be willing to say, God, I need your help. You know, the enti- your entire life hinges on the issue of love. Your entire life hinges on the issue of love. It doesn't hinge on how successful you were at work. It doesn't hinge on how smart or athletic you've been in life. It doesn't hinge on how many people know you or don't know you. It doesn't hinge on how, your, how big your house is or what kind of car you drive. There's so many things we're told that life is about that it's not about. Your entire life hinges on the issue of love. Have you received the love of God through Christ? Have you given that love back to those in your life? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? These are the questions that truly matter when it comes to your total life and what will be remembered and what will be yet to come. And so how can we apply this? How can we live this out? I think the first and most important thing is we need to recognize our complete need. I read this list. Maybe I was reading that list and did you think, man, I'm struggling with that. That's a hard list to keep, isn't it? Slow to anger trusting, caring, kind. It's hard to be that way all the time, isn't it? None of us can do this on our own. None of us can fulfill all of these expectations of love. And that's why we need to admit that. And admitting that, we open the door for Christ to come in and his Holy Spirit to begin a work in us and to keep maturing us every single day. So I would say the second most important thing is prioritizing Christ. That as you start the day, as you live the day, that you're constantly saying, God, I need your help. I really don't like this person. Help me to love them. I don't really like this situation. Help me to love you in this situation. He doesn't call us to grit our teeth and make it happen. Do you know what he calls us to do? He calls us to surrender to him and say, I can't do it unless you help me do it. And you know, that's a powerful moment when you give yourself to the Holy Spirit and he works in your life and he does a miracle. And that moment that you would always react in a certain way and now you don't. Because the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart in a new way. But it begins with that acknowledgement, that receiving, that prioritizing. And then that still small voice that speaks to you. And I don't know it might be speaking to you now. And when it speaks to you that you acknowledge it and you say, here I am, Lord. Speak to me. And in speaking to me, help me to be obedient. Show me where I'm I'm lacking in love. Show me where my weaknesses are and then you strengthen them in me. Put the people in my life that can help me on this journey. You know, one of the other benefits of having a pit stop every Sunday is that I get to hear from you. You get to hear from me. I get to learn stories of how God's working in your life and the things he's teaching you. And that helps me to understand what's happening in my life and in my journey and my path. And as we encourage each other and we listen to each other and we support each other in a community of love and and we're here, that grows us and matures us to become what we need to become. And so we need to have people in our lives that know, I am committed to this. Hold me accountable. Hold me accountable.
It's tough. It's tough to do these things. But the Holy Spirit of God has created us. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And he gives us victory. He wants to give every one of us victory in this room today. Will you receive that victory? Will you claim that victory? Will you live in that victory? Let's go to the Lord in prayer now and ask him to help us as we trust him with our lives. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for how you speak to us. And Lord, every one of us in this room have friends and family in our lives that, Lord, we want to love better. And so this morning, we ask you to help us to love our friends and family even more today than we did yesterday. Lord, we ask for purity of our mind and our hearts, that our hearts would be focused on you, and that our love would not be for the things of this world, but be for you. Lord, give us a concern and a a heart for those that are around us, those that are struggling, those who are going through very difficult times. Help us to, to truly care and to love them. And Lord, I pray if there's anything, Lord, in our life that is hurting the relationship we have with you, that you would take that from us, fill us with something healthy and something new. And Lord, as we look to the future, we're excited because we know that you're returning. And Lord, as we prepare for that wedding feast, as we prepare for your return, we, Lord, that you, we pray that you would help us to love even more each day. And so, Lord, we 